I'd like to start off today's study with a story called uh, The Farmer's Son. <clears throat> One day in late summer, an old farmer was working in his field with his old sick horse. The farmer felt compassion for the horse and desired to lift its burden, so he left his horse loose to go to the mountains and live out the rest of its life. Soon after, neighbors from the nearby village visited, offering their condolences and said, What a shame! Now your only horse is gone. How unfortunate you are. You must be very sad. How will you live? How will you work the land and prosper? The farmer replied, Who knows? We shall see. Two days later, the old horse came back, now rejuvenated after living out those few days in the mountainside while eating the wild grasses. He also brought back with him 12 new and younger, healthier horses, which followed the old horse into the corral. Word got out in the village of the old farmer's good fortune, and it wasn't long before people stopped by to congratulate the farmer on his good luck. How fortunate you are, they exclaimed. You must be very happy. Again, the farmer softly said, who knows? We shall see. At daybreak on the next morning, the farmer's only son set off to attempt to train the new wild horses, but the farmer's son was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. One by one, villagers arrived during the day to bemoan the farmer's latest misfortune. Oh, what a tragedy. Your son won't be able to help you farm with a broken leg. You'll have to do all the work by yourself. <clears throat> How will you survive? You must be very sad, they said. Calmly, going about his usual business, the farmer answered, who knows? We shall see. And lastly, several days later, a war broke out. The emperor's men arrived in the village demanding that young men come with them so that they can enlist into the emperor's army. As it happened, the farmer's son was deemed unfit because of his broken leg. What very good fortune you have, the villagers exclaimed as their own young sons were marched away. You must be very happy. You're so lucky. Who knows? We shall see, replied the old farmer as he headed off to work his field alone. And there's a few other paragraphs of this story, but I, I think you, you get the point. It's, it's, really, it's really impossible to tell. And we as humans, we have that, that similar knee-jerk reaction to almost everything that we experience in life. Um, and it, it's, it is a knee-jerk reaction, and we're so quick to form opinions on everything, and even on matters that don't really apply to us. Um, and why do we do that? Why do we judge every little facet of everything we encounter in this, worth, in this earth, on this earth. Now, if you stop and think about it, things that are insignificant as the weather and traffic and the food we eat, and yeah, all those things affect us on a daily basis. We, we do have to deal with the weather and the traffic and, and food, but um, I mean, it's, it's really just all part of life, isn't it? Why do we, we get such strong opinions and we, we feel so strongly about certain things if the traffic makes you late, you're just so upset about it. And, um, and I know everybody here feels strongly about Mondays, right? No one, no one really likes Mondays. Um, that's the one thing we can all, we can all hate. Um, but you know, again, we, we love judging things. We love judging things so much that we love reading about people's judgment on, judgments on things. If you think about it, we have movie critics. We have people who go into restaurants, and it is their job. They get paid to critique the service and the, the quality of the food and their whole dining experience, really. And they get paid to do that, and we eat it up. We read it. We can't just go to our, for ourselves and you know, form, form what we think about it. Um, and you know what, what's funny, even one step farther, and that's the last, last way I'll go with it, but we form our own judgments on the judgments of the people getting paid to do the judging. Now, 
That's a, a little bit far out there, but if, if, think about it this way. You need a cheese slicer, a cheese slicer. So what are you going to do? Maybe you go to Target or Walmart. I don't know. But for me, I'm going to go to Amazon. I'm going to be like, I'm going to find the best quality cheese slicer I can find for the best price possible. And no, Marty, I didn't say cheese cutter. So uh, the, the best quality cheese slicer for the best, the best price possible. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through all these things, and I'm going to read reviews. I'm going to read reviews on all these things, and a lot of them are going to be middle of the road. Yeah, it was okay. It did the job. Fair price. Um, and some of them are going to be just glowing reviews on how this is the best cheese slicer that came into their life, and it, it totally changed them. And I don't know how that's possible. But then you get the people that are so upset about this you know, $15 or $20 cheese slicer that they bought, and it was the worst birthday present they've had in, in recent memory. Um, but we, we love reading that stuff, and we get so fired up about it. And if you think about what the, really what the Internet has done, and this isn't, this isn't the Internet's fault, but if you think about Facebook and um, everything else, people love to argue on Facebook, and people, people love to hate each other on Facebook. People love to read comments on Facebook that they'll go to a page they know that they're not going to like, that they know they're not going to agree with, just to get upset with other people. Um, so what does the Word say about all this? With the first verse from the, uh, from the reading this morning, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8, it says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better, is better than pride. Now, why is the end of the matter better than its beginning? Well, because once the matter is done, it's done. There's no more room for any kind of discussion, no more room or need to argue about anything, and there's no more opinions to be formed. It's over with. If you go back up in chapter 7 to verse 2, um, it's the, the same, same concept, just worded a little differently. Um, but it says it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because we all eventually will come to the end of our lives. And the house of mourning is that reminder that that is our, all our ultimate destination. Um, and it's better to remember that than to um, spend our time rejoicing. Um, and then Solomon reminds us in the, the latter portion of this verse, of verse 7, um, patience is better than pride. And so it goes back to um, what I was saying about the, the opinions and the judgments that we have on things. Of wh- where, do we, where do we become so prideful that we think that our, our opinions on things that a lot of times, like I said, don't even really apply to us matter in such a way? Um, it's, it's kind of foolish to... To put ourselves out there and just, just for the sake of hearing ourselves talk and to make sure others hear us too, um, to cast our own judgments on things. But this verse reminds us to just be patient because eventually the matter will end and, and that's better than the beginning. Uh, on and on to verse 9. Do not quickly be provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Um, I, I mentioned the term before. But we all know and we've used the, the, the phrase knee-jerk reaction, and that's, a, that's an emotional response given without any logical consideration, any, any time, giving yourself any period of time to think about the issue that's at hand. You just you fly off the handle, whether it be overjoyous or, or angry. And, and the reason I bring up overjoyed um, is because that is something that, I think maybe we overlook sometimes. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being happy, um, but I think sometimes we sometimes we can let ourselves get a little too carried away in the moment and not realize our surroundings and the situation. Um, and if you haven't noticed, I'm trying to stick to Ecclesiastes as much as possible. But 
In Ecclesiastes 2, uh, verse 2, the teacher says, laughter I, says, laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? So you, you can see that there is, there is some downsides to just, just being in a place where the only emotion and the only thoughts that you can have are, you know, just pure happiness. Um, and if, if you hang with me on that, you think about the term overjoyed. Now compare that to other words with the prefix of over that we use. So you have overcooked when you bake something too long. Something, uh, a flight could be overbooked if you're on United and you get dragged off because the flight has been overbooked. That's, that's never a good situation. Um, and something that I deal with in my job, um, there's something called overcurrent. And that's where uh, a relay or some kind of circuitry on a control board could be supplied too much electricity than it's intended. And it could, it could damage the component or, or worst case scenario, um, start an electrical fire. Um, but the point is, as the end of our reading in verse 18, um, and this is why I wanted to include all of this, in verse 18, chapter 7, verse 18, whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. And that was talking about being overly righteous or overly wicked, but I think it applies to everything. If you fear God, avoid all extremes. Uh, and one thing I'd like to... Uh, one thing I'd like to go back to is Proverbs. I know I said I was hanging on Ecclesiastes a lot, but let's, let's head back to Proverbs for just a second. Proverbs 14 and verse 29, the first portion says, Whoever is patient has great understanding. So again, it goes back to just be patient. Just be patient. Wait it out. You can get there. It'll all come to an end. So for uh, the next portion, let's, let's head on to verse 10. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to make the joke earlier. Derek texted me last night and asked if I was going to be using the projector for a PowerPoint. And I, you know, in the good old days, we didn't need PowerPoints. You know, we just we just taught the word. But uh, do not say where were why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Um, we all say it, and 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 when old timers use it, we're all like, man, you're probably right. You know. Like this is, we kind of live in some, some rough times. So I wonder what it was like, you know, back in the 50s, you know, back in the 60s. I'm sure it was, it was better. However, uh, the teacher points out that uh, that's kind of a foolish way of, of thinking about it if, if you really just bank on that and, and you spend time worrying about it. Um, two reasons I can think of. Um, the first being nostalgia. Nostalgia is a reason it would be foolish to have this, this line of thinking. And the second being the pendulum effect. So uh, nostalgia, um, I, I, a little personal story I'll share about that is it's something I grew up with. My grandpa, um, he, was a, he was a pocket knife guy, you know, anywhere, anywhere he went. Any, anything you, you needed a string cut or tape, you know, cut to open up a box, he was that guy that had his pocket knife. And, and he was there, and I, and I was seven or eight, and I thought that was just, that was like the manliest thing that you could do, you know. I mean, you're not using it in any, you know, lethal way, but um, it, was, it was just so cool, because he was that guy. He always had his pocket knife, and uh, his pocket knife was the, you know, just like the standard old guy pocket knife. It was the, the brown, blackish handle with the two blades, one open this way and one open the other way, and the one had the pointy end, and the other kind of had the, the curved end on it, and they pretty much did the same thing, but for some reason there was two blades, but... Um, 
the manufacturer, the name of that pocket knife, I don't know if anybody knows where I'm going with this, but it was called Old Timer. That was the name of the company who made that pocket knife. I, I was researching them a couple days ago, and they went out of business since 2004. But um, they were in business for like 110 years, I think it was. And that's because they, they play, this, it's genius marketing really, but they play on the, that, those feelings of nostalgia of, you know, this $20 knife I'm going to buy at Walmart is better than, you know, this high-grade stainless steel, you know, knife with a 200-pound locking mechanism because it's an old-timer and, you know, it, ser it serves my purposes. But um, anyway, so, yeah, the, the nostalgia, and I think it can, it can kind of trick you into, into thinking that maybe times were better before because you're just attaching an object or a time with how you felt at that certain time, where you were in life. You're, you're making that attachment, and therefore you're, you're kind of seeing that as better. Um, and then the other, um, the pendulum effect, and we'll head to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll start in verse 4. <clears throat> the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Skipping down to verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So a kind of classic Ecclesiastes terminology there. There is nothing new under the sun because it, it, nothing, everything's constantly moving, but nothing really changes if you think about it. Um, this Christmas I had uh, the opportunity to watch a movie. My wife wanted me to sit down and watch it with her, and I'm like, what am I getting myself into? Um, but it was a movie filmed in 1946. And it was called It's a Wonderful Life. And I don't know, I guess probably most people have seen it here. Maybe I'm just not the, I'm the, I'm the odd one out. But in It's a Wonderful Life, the main character was, was faced with some, some financial difficulties. Um, the, the, the financial difficulties arose from an honest mistake that a coworker made that left him out some money. I think it was like it was like two thousand dollars or something like that. But he needed that two thousand dollars for his business to survive, and even so much more than his business to survive, he needed that money to be able to make his deposits and pay these people so that he would have a job in the future to provide for his family. And it was just eating him alive. It was eating him up, even to the point of doing harmful things to himself. And you know, I thought about it, and it's like, man, that was 1946. You know. Uh, without really knowing anything about that time period, you know, never experiencing it myself or having many conversations with people that lived it, it's, you know, you want to think, man, that was such a simpler time, but, but was it, you know? I mean, but really was it? So we deal with the same things today, you know, maybe in the, you know, 70 years ago, it was $2,000 that would, you know, drive somebody to madness, but, you know, we have, it's $20,000 today. It's the same thing. It's just, it's the same thing. It's just different, different amounts. Um, I wanted to read just a little bit of poetry here. Um, <clears throat> says, I watch the ripples change their size, but never leave the stream of warm impermanence. And so the days float through my eyes, but still the days seem the same. And these children you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Does anybody know what that is? That's David Bowie's changes. Um, 
it's it's a really reflective song. He, he was at a point in his career where he was kind of reflecting on everything that everything that he had accomplished to that point. And um, we're not doing the the Gospel of Bowie this morning. We're we're studying Ecclesiastes, but um, even even people realize that you know when you have such things in your life where you go through all these period of changes, it all is, is kind of just the same. You know, he says the ripples, they never leave their stream. So um, anyway, moving on, I wanted to bring up real quick because we're talking about, um, we're talking about the, why were the days of old better? Um, and that's, I think it is a generational thing. It, it is a generational thing there. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring up First uh, Timothy 4, Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So I'm not saying that that verse means that younger generations can take that and say, well, you know, look, it says in 1 Timothy, I don't have to listen to old people. That's not what, it, that's not what it's saying at all. I think it's just, it's just pointing out that everybody kind of sees things differently and and if you are of the younger generation, don't let that get to you. Don't feel like just because someone's older than you and they've experienced more than you, at, at least in the sense of seen something more times than you have, um, don't let that get you down. Because the reality is, as it follows up um, in the other half of this verse, it says, But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So you might have seen a situation or... You might need to handle something um, in a way that you're not used to. And, and maybe somebody has more experience, but you know, I really do believe that if you handle it in these ways and you approach it in a way that you are, you, you are setting an example and, and you follow this speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, if you approach every situation that way, it doesn't matter if it's, you've seen it one time or a hundred times, the outcome's going to be pretty good. <clears throat> so, coming back to Ecclesiastes 7, let's jump up to um, verses 13 and 14 here. Uh, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can ever discover anything about their future. Um, good times, bad times, you know I've had my share. That's, I think that's what we can all say. And that's in a way that that's, that's what's so cool about it is we've all had our fair share of good times. We've all had our fair share of bad times. And, and if you think about it, every, every bad situation that you've had, every, every tough thing that you've ever dealt with, every time you've been sad, it, whether it be you know, maybe slightly sad, a little bummed out because you didn't get what you wanted, or you're, you were extremely sad for, for valuable reasons or for, you know, important reasons. Um, think about how, who, like how that made you as a person. Think about who you are today and, and think about all that you learned from that. And maybe not every time you've experienced disappointment or, or frustration, maybe not every time you've experienced that you've learned some huge lesson, but at least take away from it that you can get through it. You, you, you were able to get through it. God was there with you while you got through that. Um, and on the flip side of that, the, the good times. Um, you know, again, I, I've talked about, you know, my, my family's here. And um, really, it's just, it's awesome to see, to see them here. And um, 
it, it, I'm so lucky to have a family that supports me and, you know, not just, you know, my, my immediate family, but my church family as well. And I think if we all kind of stop back and step back and take a look, we are, we have so much good things around us, so many blessings, and we get too busy, caught up, worrying about, you know, like I was talking about before, our judgments on things, our opinions on things. Um, and then at the end of this section, um, because of all this, because we go through the good times and the bad, they ultimately everything comes from God. And it says, therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Donald Rumsfeld, uh, and maybe I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he basically said, we, we don't know or we do not know what we do not know. And it, it sounds like a riddle at first, but if, if you apply it to your life philosophically, that, that should give you a, a peace almost of, of realizing that it's, not, it's impossible to know what we don't know. So, you know, don't spend your time, don't spend your time worrying about it. Um, and so, kind of as I, as I start to close this up, um, as I've got your, your minds in a place where you are just, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about judging things and, um, and we can't, you don't have to worry about worrying, worrying about things that are out of our control. Um, there is a verse in Ecclesiastes 12 I do want to talk about. Maybe some of you know where I'm already going with this, but um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, For it all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So, this talks about God will bring every good deed into judgment. And I, you know, I, I hit on the fact that we don't have to worry about judging things, and that's the truth, because we don't have to worry about judging things. And the one, the one facet in our life that we can control is where our final destination will be. And all we have to do is fear God and keep His commandments, but it doesn't really quite start there. Um, one quick verse I wanted to hit on. <clears throat> Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So before we can begin our, our journey, if you will, of uh, fearing God and keeping His commandments, it, 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 kinda, it all starts there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That was, um, that was what, Peter repl- that's what Peter replied. People heard this. They were cut to their heart. They said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's what you do. That's where you start. We know the judgment's coming. The New Testament says it. Ecclesiastes says it. It's coming. Every deed, every hidden thing, good or bad, it's coming. So we start there. And again, back to what I said, what can we control? What is the one thing we can control? Fear God and keep His commandments. And everything from that point will just work itself out. That's the only words that I had um, for this morning's, this morning's topic. Uh, if you do have a need, uh, a wish to be baptized and, and start, that, start that journey so you can begin to, to fear God and keep His commandments, um, the church will be more than happy to uh, assist you with that. But also, if you, uh, if you need the prayers of the church, whether it be for uh, support or, or to... Um, 
and just just get just get any any kind of support. Um, feel free to come forward as we stand and as we sing.